Well, I feel like I'm procrastinating this message this morning because it's something that has been on my heart like crazy. Um, I'm actually going to be talking to you today about one of the linchpins of our faith, something that has become um, universal almost in Catholicism and Christianity and most of the the Christian-based religion, Judeo-Christian religions, denominations. And that is the idea or the, or the principle of the Holy Sacrament communion. We're not going to take communion today because I don't know how we can do that and keep everybody safe, but you don't need the church to take communion. How many of you know that? Come on. So I'm going to give you the background on communion and I'm going to tell some stories. And I have some stories that are on my, in my, uh, that are on my mind. I want to give credit, first of all, to a guy that I love to listen to that is a Hugely, just amazing blessing series talking to me over here. Trying to take me to first credit union. Maybe I need to get a, a loan or something. Okay. I, I, I like to listen to a gentleman. His name is Stan Mitchell. And he is a, uh, just a brilliant man and a very progressive thinker. And um, I want to give him credit because some of these stories I'm going to tell today come from a message he did back in 2019 called The Meaning of Communion. And um, I was listening to this message while I was mowing the lawn. Sometimes I listen to, um, you know, Hillsong. Sometimes I listen to Coldplay. Depends how I'm feeling. (laughs) This day I was listening to a a message called The Meaning of Communion from back in 2019 by a gentleman named Stan Mitchell, who started a church called Grace Point Church and now is a part of a church called Everybody Church. Don't you like that name, Everybody Church? And... um, and I began to weep. And I realized something at the end of the message. And the goal of this is I'm going to stretch you this morning. That's not my goal. I'm going to make you feel uncomfortable this morning. That's also not my goal. It's kind of a byproduct of what I'm going to say. But the number one priority I have is at the end of this message, you will fall more in love with Jesus. Is that okay? If you can get past maybe an uncomfortable thing or two here, if you can just kind of remove our own built-in bias for a moment and and dive into what I'm trying to get, the point I'm trying to get across, I believe at the end of this message, like me, as I was finished mowing and the tears were coming down my eyes, I had sunglasses on and the tears were pouring down my eyes and, and I began to weep and not just tears, but I began to visibly cry and shake while trying to mow the lawn. I, I didn't even go back to look, but I assume it's pretty crooked because I wasn't in great shape emotionally as I was listening to it. But I wept, and when I asked myself the question, why is this making me weep? And the first thing that came to mind was because I feel like we've gotten some things wrong and are continuing to get some things wrong. Anybody okay with being wrong every once in a while? You're lying. You don't like it. Neither do I. But how many of you know we need to be wrong every once in a while and be willing to admit it, right? (laughs) And I realized, first of all, we've gotten some things wrong. And second off, even more importantly, and probably more emotional, was a really happy emotion. That was, I was more in love with Jesus than I've been in a long time after I listened to this message because the beauty of his unending, indescribable, uh, uncontainable love found in the story that I'm getting ready to read to you is so beautiful that if we can just for a moment remove the bias and remove the prejudice and remove the things that we've kind of always been taught and dive in not to some crazy, you know, theoretical uh, idea or theological 
point or, or some sort of political, you know, uh, leanings or whatever it may be this morning. But if we can get past those filters for a second and dive deep into the heart of Jesus and the beauty of the moment where he broke the bread and he poured those cups and divided them out to a group of ragtag people. And he began to break bread and drink a cup and he took what was just a normal Passover feast, a Jewish tradition. And he took it and took the opportunity to make something practical out of a Jewish tradition and to make a point. Jesus in these moments, and I might read a little bit or I might paraphrase it, but Jesus in these moments leading up to this, he knew, the Bible says he actually knew that the end was near. The end was coming. He knew that he would be tortured. He knew that he'd be mocked. He knew that Peter would deny him. He knew that they would act like they didn't know him. He knew that as humanity and human beings that we would probably get to a point where we would forget what he stood for. We would forget what he was about. And we have taken communion. We've made it this very religious thing. And very, you know, we've fought about it. There's entire assemblies of people that come together in denominations just to decide what communion should look like and who should be allowed to give it out. Here is a man who, as he broke his body, he was just simply saying, guys, I'm getting ready to suffer and die, and I want you to remember me. It wasn't some great tradition of, you know, you must do it this way or it's not going to work and be effective for you. How many of you grew up with the idea that communion was something that if you had sin in your heart, you couldn't receive it? How many of you ever felt fenced out of communion? Do you know that the term I want you to think about this. The term we use, not we, but in Christianity that we use, the term that is used openly, it's not a critical term. It's not a term that's used to criticize people that think this way. It is a, a colloquial or a layman's term in the faith for when usually, I'm gonna say this, I'm gonna go there for a mo moment, ladies. Usually a bunch of men get together and decide how we're going to do this thing called communion. Who's allowed to, who's allowed to give the communion away? Who's allowed to receive it? Do you know what the term they use is? They call it fencing in the Eucharist or the sacrament. They build a fence around the broken body of Christ and decide who can receive it and who can't. When at, the end of, when, when at the end of his life, he takes the bread and he breaks it. And he says, I'm doing this because I want you to remember me. And the picture is this. Remember. To put back together in your minds years later what I was. And in faith, 
I know this is a heavy one, but just bear with me because I'm telling you, you're gonna see the beauty of Jesus through it. And in faith, we have twisted it and we have made communion something that has to be done a certain way on a certain day and with a certain person delivering it to you. And you have to have your heart in a certain place. And I'm gonna show you where that went off track in a moment because it comes from Paul in 1 Corinthians 11. And we'll get there in a second. But this whole cycle of just weirdness that we've built around it. And I don't know about you, but as mankind, we can take something that's really simple and really pure and make it really complicated. And all he was saying is, there's going to come a time you're going to forget what I was about. Can you imagine that we would fence in who can partake? And yet, if we actually remember, we reassemble the body of Christ with one another, you might remember that the Pharisees tried to fence him in on who he could partake and who he could dine with and who he could break bread with too. They said, why are you eating with those publicans and sinners? Why are you breaking bread with the prostitutes? Why are you breaking bread with people like that, Jesus? How could we take his life and the symbol of remembering and reassembling who he was and fence it in? I'm gonna tell you a story. I know some of you are like, oh boy. Pastor Dan's on one of them things again. Last week was such a sweet message about humility and the week before was like love and peace and then mercy. And the week before that, everyone's gonna be rich and now he's on a kick. Yeah, I, I'm on a kick a little bit this morning and I know that. And if I need to be corrected for it, I'm sure that's coming, but I wanna tell a story. I wanna tell a story that broke my heart and it was of, Stan Mitchell told the story. He was at a festival called Wild Goose in North Carolina. Yeah, Wild Goose, can you imagine? <laughs> Some of y'all are wild gooses, I'll tell you that much. <laughs> um, he was at a festival and it's a Christian festival and he was there and it's uh, people that are pretty, pretty out there. Um, and they're out there because most of them have been really, really hurt by the church. And they come there trying to find a place where they can find safety and making their way back to reconciling their heart, their faith. And uh, this woman was standing in line because on the last day of the festival and they have teaching and they have worship and, they, and they, they take communion together, but they do it kind of like you'll see in some more liturgical churches. They don't pass it out like we do. They have somebody at the front that's giving out the communion. And uh, I just want you to picture this. And so you have people from all places in life people that have been pushed away and cast aside by the church, people that have been taken advantage of, people who have been, you know, assaulted, women that have been assaulted by pastors, little boys that have been assaulted by priests that 30 years later are trying to find their way back. You have minorities. You have people that have been kicked out of churches because they dared question you have many people from the LGBT community that come, they're trying to find their way back. Labeled, screamed at, yelled at, told that they were disgusting. All they're trying to do is find their way back. I don't know about you, and, but I wanna tell you myself, there's been times I haven't been invited to the table 
There's times where I haven't felt included in something. There's times where I need somebody to reassemble me. I think every one of us in this room would find ourselves at a place in our life where we didn't feel like we belonged. And it was probably one of the worst days of your life. And there are people out there, for whatever reason, who deal with that reality every day, don't feel like they belong. And he's standing in line and there's a woman in front of him. And as she was getting closer to the front, she wasn't making, she wasn't trying to be hysterical or draw attention to herself. She was actually trying to be as quiet as possible, but she was leaking tears. She got closer to receiving communion, just leaking tears. And he was behind her. He said, I couldn't take my eyes off of her. And he watched and watched and he watched. And he just started thinking, what's, you know, what is she going? And as she got to the front of the line, she, she took the juice or the wine or whatever it was, and the bread. She put it in her mouth. And he said, she took that wine-soaked bread. He said, she took that wine-soaked bread and held it in her mouth. And he thought for a second, is she savoring? the broken body of Christ, or is it, or is it choking her? Because she just wouldn't swallow it. And the woman that was giving communion, even though there was a long line, she didn't hurry her along. She understood that this was kind of a divine moment, that something was happening with this woman. And so she, she leaned into her and allowed her to process Eventually, the woman swallowed the communion. and Through tears, she literally almost passed out. So emotional beyond words. She leaned up against the stage, which was about this high, and it hit her about the shoulders. She just stood there. She didn't go on with the rest. And Stan says, I quickly took the elements of communion, and I went over to her because I knew I had to make sure she was okay. And she, he said, I got to tell you, I... I saw that communion seemed pretty difficult for you. He said, I want to know if you're okay. She said, I'm fine. And she hesitated for a moment and then she decided to invite him into a really special place in her heart, open her heart up in her story. She said, it's been 50 years since I received communion. Y'all okay with this? I know that we're not gonna necessarily leave here feeling like it's time to, but I, if, you're, if you feel like crying, it's because the Holy Spirit's moving on you. She said, it's been 50 years since I've received communion. She began to tell the story. But she didn't say communion, she said the Eucharist. And so he assumed that because she said Eucharist, she was probably Catholic or Orthodox. And she said, 50 years ago was the last time that I tried to receive communion and I was denied. Because earlier in that week, do not close your heart when I say this, please. Do not close your heart when I say this. Earlier in the week, I revealed to my priest that I was transgender. And she said, I still was trying to connect with God. She said, when I went that Sunday, I was hoping 
that he would allow the mercy of God to flow through him and that he would still serve me communion. And he denied me in front of them. So 50 years have passed and I've gone on to live a fairly healthy, happy life. But a couple of months ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. Sorry, I got it wrong. I was diagnosed with dementia. And she said, by all means, it's probably Alzheimer's. She said, I'm losing my faculties to make decisions. And I wanted to find my, listen to this, please listen to open your hearts up. I wanted to find my way back to the church and I wanted to make things right before I lose my mind. He said, well, why did you choose this? He said, well, a friend of mine told me about the festival and I thought it's open air. It's some people that don't seem quite as judgmental. I'm going to go. I'm gonna take it one step further. Hold on to your seatbelts. You're gonna be okay, I promise you. She said, Stan said to her, I don't know if you realize this. I'm telling you, these folks at this festival, they're, they're a different bunch. He said, I don't know if you know this, but the woman that they randomly chose a day ago to serve communion is also a transgender woman. And as Stan left that and hugged her, he walked over and he talked to somebody from his church that was a part of the festival. And he said, I got to tell you what happened. And he said, you know, I randomly picked that woman yesterday. I had no idea why, because usually it's one of the, you know, the hot shots that do it. He says, I randomly picked her. And he says, she said to me, it's been 15 years since anybody has asked me to do anything in the church and 20 years since I was defrocked as a Presbyterian minister. I'm telling you this story this morning because communion was never meant to be withheld from people based on our opinions, whether educated or uneducated, of where they come from. And neither was church or God or all that he has for them. Can you imagine the intersection of these two lives in that moment? That God lined up, and you say, oh, God wasn't involved in that. Yeah, God lined up this to happen so that this woman, before she loses her mind, regardless of what you think or I think, before she loses her mind, can find some sort of peace with a God she grew up loving and thought that he loved her. You see, Jesus in that moment with his disciples, he said, listen, I want you, when you do this, when you break the bread, I want you to reassemble what I look like. And Jesus, he, he hung out with, you know, have you ever been to Ybor City? Anybody? That's a different bunch of people, right? I love it. I don't go there. Like Pastor Tan's hitting up Ybor. No, no, no. 
I was in St. Pete last night with Michael and we're walking down the streets. And if you go to St. Pete at, the, at you know, eight o'clock at night and walk down Central, you're gonna see some different looking people. I love it. It's what the church should look like. We shouldn't all look the same, talk the same, act the same, wear the same clothes and have the same accent when we say God. And I'm gonna say this very, very kindly because I don't believe that this is what these folks are, but I want this place to be a freak show. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because when we remember and reassemble the body of Christ, which is you and I, it's gonna look the way it did when he walked the face of the earth and he took the people that were ripping folks off as tax collectors. He took the swarthy fishermen who were cussing. He took, he took the carpenters. He took the prostitutes. He took the lowest of the low, the scumbags of society, the ones who had been marked with a letter A on the front of them. He took them and he reassembled them and he said, let's go change the world together. And we can't reassemble or remember the body of Christ and it not look a little strange. But man and religion has decided that we're going to make this look a certain way. And I just, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta be very clear with you. People are going to watch this because we put a fairly provocative title up on it on Facebook. And I want that to happen because I want people who think that the church hates them, that God doesn't want anything to do with them. I want people and you think, oh, is this just about gay people, Pastor Dan? You should stop mentioning that in the service. Well, I'm gonna keep mentioning it because we have a lot of work to do with that community. But I'm not just talking about them. I'm talking about you and me because you know what it's like to be left out. You know what it's like to not be invited to the table. You know what it's like that when Jesus begins to assemble through us in the church, a table, a Passover feast, you know what it's like to be in the corner unwanted where nobody was passing you a piece of bread. You know, and I know we've been there. Can you be real with me this morning? You've been there and so have I. We have found ourselves in a place in our life. Well, that's because I was messing up, Pastor Dan. You still didn't deserve it. None of us deserve not to have a seat at the table. And he died so that every person would have the opportunity to come sit at that Passover table and reassemble inside of them and with one another what is life counted for and looked like. Stan told another story. He said, he said, I was doing communion one day and it hit me. He said, it's the broken body of Christ being served to a broken people. He said, why not pick somebody who's feeling broken to serve a broken body to a broken people? It only makes sense. Instead of going, well, do we have brother so-and-so's tithing records before we allow him to pass out the wafers? Do you really think God wants us to have this much conversation about a stinking wafer? He was simply saying, don't forget me. Don't forget what I lived for. Don't forget the revolutionary that I was. Don't forget I'm the one who turned over the tables. Don't forget I was the one who drew the line in the sand. Don't forget that I was the one and stepped in and took the rocks and took the scars upon my back and bled and died. Don't forget, reassemble me, meet together. Do this in remembrance of me. Do it often, break bread with one another and remind yourself of who I was because religion and time is going to change in your minds what you think I look like and how you think I act and who you think I am. Don't let it happen. Remember me. 
He told a story and he said, hey, we were on a Sunday morning, instead of picking out the most holy, he said, I want the most broken. And a woman stood to her feet. She was two months away from dying of cancer. By the way, he told the story. I'm assuming she was um, uh, a mother with children. She got to the stage and she was two months away from dying of cancer. She died two months later. And she picked up that piece of bread as her two teenage boys laid their head on their mother's chest as she was less than 90 pounds and literally almost on her deathbed. She broke that bread and she said, she said, this is my body. And a guy from 2000 years ago stepped out of the spotlight for a second and said, yes, it is. In that moment where impending death was upon her, she realized that his body was our body. He was broken for us. There's one more story I want to leave you with. Is this okay this morning? No. Okay, got it. Um, Stan said uh, that his son, Stan Jr., was in second grade. He came home from school and he was visibly upset. He sat down. Let me check the time. That's 11.03. You're going to have to give me a couple more minutes. Sat down and... uh, he come home from school and he says, Stan Jr., what's, what's wrong, Stan? He said, Dad, there's a new boy at school. He said, yeah. He said, yep, no one wants him to play kickball with us. He says, I didn't want to play, but I decided to go ahead and play, but he wasn't allowed. And he said, one of my friends actually pushed him down on the playground today. I didn't do anything about it. And he said, at the lunchroom, he eats by himself. He said, well, how does that make you feel, Stan? He said, pretty bad, Dad. I feel pretty bad about it. So the next day he came home. He said, oh, son, son, how did school go today? He said, Dad, you know that boy I told you about? He said, yeah. He said, well, I invited him to play kickball with us. He said, how'd that go? He said, Dad, he's not very good. He said, but my friend said he can, he, he can play. He can play when we play. And he said, and at lunch, I sat down with him at the lunch table. This little boy that had been bullied for no other reason than the fact he was new. Come on, you and I know what that feels like. He said, I sat with him at the lunch table and we had lunch together and I, I told him, I'm going to keep sitting with you until other people start sitting with you. He said, and I love this because Stan said he was in second grade and he said in a lot of denominations and faiths, second grade is when they allow children to begin to receive communion. He said, in our church, we weren't there yet. We hadn't gotten to that point where we were letting second graders take communion. But he said, Stan Jr. decided at second grade, at that lunch table that day to go ahead and have his first communion as he reassembled the life and the body of Christ in a moment where he sat with somebody and declared, I'm going to sit with you until other people start sitting with you too. Harvest, We're going to sit with some people. 
until other people start sitting with him too. And they might not look like you. They might not love like you. They might not have the bank account. Well, my bank account you can have. <laughs> they might not have the things going for them. Guess what? They might not even be good looking like me and you. But we're going to sit with him. We're going to break bread with him. We're going to dine with him. Because at the end of the day, we can't lie to ourselves and say that we're doing this thing and reassembling and reimagining and reintroducing the body of Christ when there are people all, I was in a restaurant the other day, an outdoor like tiki restaurant bar place where there's a band playing and a good friend of mine that grew up in our church was playing the guitar and he had a bunch of friends with him and one was his girlfriend. And as I had a conversation with her and I had a conversation with some of her friends, every single one of them had the same story. And the story was I grew up in church, but church people are so mean. And at 20 something years old, I've made a decision. I don't want to go back there anymore. I can't do this that way. And I really believe neither can you. Let me read to you this very quickly. I'm sorry, I know today's longer, but it was just one of those messages that I had to do. Paul, as he was talking about that Passover, I'm just gonna paraphrase it. You can trust me, it's in 1 Corinthians 11. But Paul comes and he says, listen, guys, they were having a feast called the Agape Feast, the love feast. Paul comes to them and what they would do is they would have these feasts. It was like a giant potluck. And the rich would bring their drinks, their wine, their food. And at some point towards the end, of the feast called the love feast, they would break bread and have the Eucharist or the sacrament or communion together. Paul says this, he says, you're doing it all wrong. He says, the rich are going home full, are going home drunk. And the poor that attend your love feast don't have a seat at the same table as those, those of you that have. The have-nots are going home hungry and with nothing. And on the heels of that, you guys do communion. And then Paul says something that has haunted many of you in this room. Paul says, and you received the communion, the Eucharist, the sacrament, unworthily. We have twisted that to say that those people were unworthy. That's not what he said. Unworthy is an adjective. It describes the noun being the people. Unworthily, for you grammar Nazis, is an adverb. It describes the action. He said, the manner in which you received communion on the heels of what you did in fencing out the people that didn't have what you have, you received communion unworthily. And then he went on to say, some of you will be sick. Some of you will die as a result because you fenced people out. 
Religion has taken that one passage from 1 Corinthians 11 and told you and me that if we got anything messy in our lives, that we're unworthy to receive communion. And if we do, we might get sick and die. Do you see how insanely twisted that is? All along, all along, Paul was saying, can't do that. Can't have the haves over here at the table and the have-nots over here who don't have a seat at the table and then act like you're reassembling or remembering the true body of Christ. And the whole death part, because we know God doesn't kill people. We know that he doesn't make people sick. But if we can parallel that, I think you can get the gist of it, the point of it. The point of it is this. Faith and religion and church is dead. When we feel it necessary to decide who can come in and who can't, who can receive and who can't. And we do it that way, there will be no life. And we will be anemic because his blood will only be flowing to some members of the body, not to all. Titleist messages ripping down the fences. We will not fence our church. We will not fence our worship. We will not fence communion. We will not fence access to the Father. We will not fence Jesus. And when we break bread, and I encourage you to leave here today as I close and go break bread with somebody. Go break bread. The restaurant's open. You can break bread right there. You can be ordering your food in five minutes. Break bread with somebody today. And when you do it, when you hear the crack of the bread or the snap of that cracker, think about the crazy, unimaginable love of Jesus that would sit at a table with the least of these and say, I'm getting ready to leave this earth. Remember me. And in remembering me, go change the world. That harvest is who we are. That is who we are. Will you stand up so we can pray? This has always been a church where whomsoever will, let them come. That's how you got here. And always a little different, a little odd, a little strange. But the doors and the heart of Christ is open to all who will come. Whomsoever will, let them come. And let our hearts cry. Let our faith, let our voice line up with the word of God. That whomsoever will, let them come. Turn to your neighbor and say, whomsoever. Say it again. Say, whomsoever. Say it like this. Even folks like you and me, let them come. Let them come. And when we introduce them to a living, loving Christ, their lives will be transformed. And they'll go into this world and be the light that this world needs. 
Oh, come on, put your hands together and give God praise. Now, I don't say this because Dana's my son. As a matter of fact, he got more whoopings than the other four all put together. It takes guts. Someone with conviction that will stand up and preach just like he preached this morning. I've seen every odd, every weird, every crazy, every one that's been rejected by society and thrown away. Be invited to come to the table partake of Christ himself seeing their lives transformed I'm thankful for this message I'm thankful for a young man who's got the guts to preach it and I'm thankful for this church and I'm thankful that the cry of our heart is going to be whomsoever will let them come. Come on and put your hands together and give God some praise. Love you. Don't forget to tune in Wednesday night and we'll come back next Sunday and shake it up a little bit. Hallelujah.